This is Women's Leadership Success Radio, episode number 38, Creating Personal Presence, Look, Talk, Think, and Act Like a Woman Leader. Personal presence is not something you're born with. These skills and habits can be developed. In this interview, Sabrina Brahm and Diana Boer give you specific tips on how to build a strong executive presence. You'll get ideas that you can put into action immediately. And be sure to listen for a special offer at the end of the show on how to sign up for a free copy of my new 7 Secrets to a Profitable Job Promotion Training Series. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life, no matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is womensleadershipsuccess.com. Today we're talking about creating personal presence, how to look, talk, think, and act like a woman leader with Diana Boer. Diana is... The CEO of Boer Consultants, serving Fortune 500 clients such as IBM, Pepsi-Cola, USAA, and J.P. Morgan Chase. She has been featured in Successful Meetings list of 21 top speakers for the 21st century, and her previous books have sold nearly 4 million copies. Welcome, Diana. It's good to be with you, Sabrina. Thank you. How many books have you written? Uh, the latest is 46. 46. That's amazing. You have to do something missing all those airlines and sitting in <laughs> hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two of your books. Um, one is Communicating with Confidence, which is such a good book. I recommend that everyone listening get that as a reference book. It's just full of information about how to uh, communicate in all kinds of situations. And the other book is the Creating Personal Presence, Look, Talk, Think, and Act Like a Leader, which we're basically talking about today. Um, and I'm wondering, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you, um, how did you develop an ability to be so helpful in companies? Well, actually, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who happened to be vice president of engineering in a major oil company, and he was talking about how poorly most of the engineers that he worked with were writing their reports. And I asked him, you know, well, what do you do about that? And he says, well, I spend all my time rewriting them. So I um, thought at the time I was finishing up a master's degree in writing with specialization in writing, and I'm thinking, well, I teach my students this. So I asked for some samples, you know, things that were out of date and not confidential. And I put together a program on this called my agent and said, can you sell a book on this? And she said, sure. And so while I was waiting for that book to come out, I sold the book. And while I was waiting for that book to come out, I started teaching in uh, an oil company. And I was teaching at a local university and teaching a novel writing class in their continuing education department. And I went around the class saying, are you working on a spot to roll a romance novel? And they were saying no. And they were engineers, lawyers, accountants in that class on their own time, on their own money. And I thought there has to be a huge need for this kind of thing. And so once uh, I found that need and feel that need, I went on the book tour and people started calling saying, our people need a help. 
in this area. And once I started in that, of course, then people said, well, can you do presentation skills? And I said, really, I don't know anything about that. But I began to think, well, the skills are the same. It's the thinking process, persuasion, and being dynamic in person rather than just writing. And so I just continued to branch out in that communication area and spread from industry to industry. Wow, that's that's really amazing. And one of the things that just in reading your books that I, I was so impressed with is you you really do notice where the need is and start filling that that space and um, look for the pain. That's right. Yeah, look for the pain, which is also a good thing for the women listening to our show to remember to keep doing that. Right. You you look for for the problem and that's that's basically what I did even when I branched out into other areas of communication. After I'd been doing writing, technical and business writing and proposal writing and presentations for a while, IBM came to me and said, you know, we've got people that have been sitting behind a computer so long they, they don't do face to face communication very well anymore. What do you do about that? And I said, Well, you know, I don't know about that. And they said, well, you know, we'll help you research. You can talk to our people and see what problems they have in the support line when people call in and they have problems when they call the 800 number. And so I did the research on it, wrote a book about it, and um, that's how I get my research. Wherever people are hurting, whatever organization comes to me and says, here's here's a problem, help me solve it, then I do real frontline primary research, talking to the people who are on the front line dealing with their customers and and talking to the customers who are saying these organizations, are, our suppliers are not serving as well and see what the issues are and then figure out how the best people in those industries are, are handling the problem and then bring my expertise to bear on that and come up with solutions. And, and that's the way I think any company today has to survive. How do you do it best? And what, you know, getting creative ideas from one industry and bringing them into a different industry. Right. And how do you, how do you, you as a person working in that company do your best by finding the problem and coming up with a solution? Right. And everything is about communication, basically. It's, it's an evergreen topic. There's, there's no organization and there's no industry that doesn't have to communicate. And so I've always stayed in that niche. It's either oral, written, or interpersonal or organizational communication that helps us do everything that we do. That's wonderful. Whether you're an accountant or you're a, a customer service agent or you're a lawyer, you can do your job in a corner and and nobody watches you. You know, your executives can't or your customers can't follow you around all day and see you analyze a problem. They don't see you research. They don't see you um, deal with difficult people. They only see the results of what you do. And the results of what you do with for them or with them is what you communicate about. You either write about it, you tell them about it on the phone, you you report to them about it orally when you sit down with them. So somehow, in some part of that process, you're communicating with your customers and your suppliers. So everybody has to do it. Right. And personal presence, How does what is it and how does that relate to communication? Well, personal presence is hard to define, but everybody knows it when they see it. You know, somebody walks into a room and heads turn. Conversation opens up to include them. When somebody with presence speaks, asks a question, people answer. When they lead, People follow. When they leave a room, things just kind of wind down. And those characteristics 
or what we call presence. And when I go to do keynotes, I frequently ask the audience, you know, what what are the attributes of personal presence? And no matter what group, if I have 30 or if I have 3,000 in the crowd, they will call out the same 20 or 30 characteristics. But they really boil down to four buckets, so to speak, or four categories of things. And that's why I, I use that as my subtitle on that Creating Personal Presence book that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's how you look, how you talk, how you think, and how you act. Those four categories really constitute your personal presence. And can you speak about how you look specifically in terms of a woman? Uh, how you know what's different about that than how a man needs to look, or what does she? What does a woman need to pay attention to? Well, one of the biggest things that women need to pay attention to is their gesturing. Think about it like this it's still true today, I wish it wasn't true today, but it's still true today that the vast majority of the C-suite is filled with men. Correct. And they are the, our C-suite is what we aspire to to be, where we aspire to be. And so that's that's the measure of authority and credibility for people. And so that's the male gesturing. That's the male posture and stance. And men gesture in an angular way, and they gesture typically from the shoulder. So if you want to be perceived as authoritative and credible, you need to use larger shoulder gestures. But if you watch women gesture, for the most part, they gesture from the elbow and the wrist, and that looks diminutive. Mm-hmm. It's uh, they gesture toward their body. If you if you watch, that is a huge difference in the genders. Men gesture out from their body. They gesture from the shoulder. Women gesture when they when they move their arms. They move toward their body and they gesture from the elbow. And that makes them look shy. It makes them look withdrawn. If you could picture a woman's stance, for the most part. I call it the little box gesture zone. It's like they have this little box right in the front of their body, Uh and they gesture right inside this little one-foot square box. And you don't want to do that. (laughs) I always are saying, get your hands out of the box. Get your hands out of the box. How can you practice that? What's a good way to practice? Either stand in front of the mirror and look away. Don't look in in the mirror. Look away, standing in front of the mirror, and start talking, and you'll get into your natural rhythm and your natural style. Go through some presentation you've got to give or something you give, gave last week, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, glance in the mirror and catch yourself being natural. Glance in the mirror and see where your hands are, and I bet you'll see them right in that little box. And so then go back and redo that section of content that you just gave and move your hands out, lift from your shoulder, and you will see the difference in how much more authoritative and how much more dynamic your gesturing looks. So that's just one tip. That's just one difference that, that it's in the posture and gesturing. That was priceless. It's Good. something we all needed to hear, and thank you. That was an incredible tip. Great. I, I hear women, I, and I, t- I tell uh, consulting firms when I go in, and I can raise the closing rate of their of their females who are in the sales force. I can raise their closing rate dramatically just by helping them with their gesturing and their stance and their posture and their movement, how they move around the room and how they walk. 
I mean, it's dramatic in the way they carry themselves in how males perceive them as confident. Because when you have a, a I call it a drawing in of your body language, it, it's perceived, not that you are and not that you feel that way, but it's perceived as being defensive and shy and unconfident. And it has nothing to do with validity. It has nothing to do with reality, but it's that's the perception. So body language has a lot to do with the first impressions. Great. What about how they dress? Well, again, men can, you know, business casual is the thing nowadays. Everywhere you go, you know, conference is business casual. Well, what's business casual for men is totally different than what's business casual for women. Mm-hmm. And particularly, you take it up a notch if you aspire to be in the executive rank. And I, when I'm speaking on this or doing a training topic on it, I will do show slides and I'll say this is for the average person. This is for middle management, what's considered business casual. But for the executive ranks, this is what's business casual. And where did I get this information? Of course, from observation, but actually interviewing CEOs and interviewing presidents. And they will have comments about this all the time. I'll get, I'll have a CEO or president who'll say, "This is a real up-and-coming person that I have my own t- in our succession plan." But she stalled out right here because she needs polish. And when I when I probe about this polish, a lot of times it will be on dress issues. Um, I'm thinking right now of somebody who just retired. He was executive vice president, and he was bringing a, he was a mentor to um, a younger vice president in the organization. He said, you know, she's brilliant in what she does, but she needs help with dress. For example, and then he was mentioning this some kind of outing they had had, and he was saying, for example, she wore a floral print to this very classy thing. She didn't know to wear a solid color. Hmm. And then I've had him say something about them wearing open-toe shoes to a very classy event. And uh, having different hairdos, you know, they just don't get it, that the difference between a middle management dress and an executive outfit. So where would one go to get advice on that? Well, there, you know, I give general principles like that, and most people can correct if they just look around to see the people who are at the top. But if they want general principles, they're image consultants in every city. <laughs> and I rec- in the Creating Personal Presence book, I've recommended three very good image consultants there, I think, in my first chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, that's sometimes I will... I will give them some general principles when I do uh, the consulting on personal presence. But if they want to just focus on image, just talk about dress, just talk about makeup, I don't get into that detail. I don't have that much time mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm doing a, a session on personal presence. Then I recommend you know specific image consultants. It's a, it's it's worth the money. It sure definitely is. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you mentioned your book uh, don't disappear. What does yes. that mean? And basically what I'm talking about there, and you notice in Chapter 4 and 5 I have just oodles of photographs of people. There's some people who, with their facial expression and with their posture and with their demeanor, they basically become invisible. Mm-hmm. People just overlook them because they do not have a confident manner about them. 
I remember working for a large organization, and when we got through with the project, it was a four or five month project. When we got through with the project, the uh, CEO said, "You know, I like to this. This went so well. I like to give out bonuses." And you're being an outsider here. Who do you think has really done a stellar job here? Mm-hmm. And I mentioned the guy by the name of Wayne, and he said, "Who?" <laughs> and he was so astounded. He said, and I gave gave him a last name, and he said. I never would have thought, and he went on to say, you know, I, I, you know, he always comes to work, but I, I've never thought about him doing such a stellar job, and he wanted to know why, and I gave him several reasons why I thought he was so exceptional in his job, and he was just astounded, and I understand why. He was one of those people that just kind of, he didn't dress that well, he had this college professor kind of look, you know, the elbow patches and, the, you know, the sweater vest. He just didn't stand out as a sharp dresser. He mm-hmm. didn't walk like it. He kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of limped around as if he were so tired he could hardly stand up straight. <laughs> and that's what I mean, it, a hangdog look. Um, it just He just didn't have that energetic, vibrant look about him in his mm-hmm. facial expression in his voice his voice was not energetic there was not great uh, expressiveness and that's what i mean about disappear some people in a meeting disappear you know they're always the people who who participate great ideas they're they have something to say or contribute frequently and then there are others who are just quiet very shy and you just hardly know they're around unless somebody addresses them specifically mm-hmm. and so in just in general, their their demeanor, in their ability to speak up and think on their feet, in their ability to um, with their with their energy, their physical energy, which shows up in body language and in voice, in all of those ways, they disappear. So when you look through at all those photographs, you'll see what I mean about disappearing. You just are not aware of their presence. And you know, you've been to a party or a networking event where. When you leave, you know, you notice certain people being there. Mm-hmm. And then you walk away and somebody says, well, I, I talked to so-and-so. And you think, were they there? I didn't I didn't see them. Right. You just are not aware they were there. They were so quiet. A, a, a great, great piece of advice. And also it, it seems like it's it's your intention on the inside, too, whether you're at a meeting or you're just whatever you're doing to – know inside your head that you're going to be fully present and you're going to enjoy being there and that you're going to participate, that right. you have that mindset. Right. It's intentional. It's, it, your face-to-face interactions need to be more than I've arrived, I'm here. <laughs> you know, they, you have to intend to connect with people. I just sometimes, to make people aware of how important that is, and that face-to-face interaction, Mm-hmm. I ask people to think about why an organization would send someone around the world on an eight-hour or ten-hour or even a 16-hour plane trip to deliver a proposal when they could just email it. I mean, companies do that all the time. They've Mm -hmm. got a proposal done, and they could just send it by email and then set up a conference call and discuss it with them by phone for an hour. But they will put somebody on a plane to fly 16 hours for an hour meeting and come home. That tells you how important that face-to-face human 
connection is. Right. The deal. And we and, should remember that we still need to do that. Absolutely. It, it's, uh, you know, there's certain things you can do by email. It's a productivity issue. But there are just certain times you have to connect with other people, and you, you need to know the difference. That's part of your job and part of your judgment. Makes sense. Let's talk about meetings. And um, this seems to be a challenge for a lot of the, the women that I coach, uh, not not really participating in the meetings. So can you talk a little bit about what happens if you don't participate, if you're just passive, and what one needs to do so they can be more confident in meetings? Well, a lot of people look for an opening, <laughs> and that's a mistake. One thing you need to do, of course, is to be aware of the stages in a meeting. There are six stages in every meeting. You know, you, you have to know not only as a leader how you're getting through that meeting, but as a meeting participant, you want to be aware. You know, are we discussing the idea? Are we formulating our agenda? Are we discussing the 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 pros and cons of something? Are we testing for consensus? Are we coming to evaluation? Are we in the brainstorming session? What what stage are we in? Mm-hmm. And I think people, maybe the reason sometimes they're passive is they see people repeat themselves or circle back or or bring up irrelevant ideas, and they think, I don't want to do that. That's a waste Mm -hmm. of time. What an irritant. And so they withdraw, and that's not the answer. The answer is not withdrawing. The answer is to be a productive participant by helping keep the meeting on track. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if when you need to summarize, jump in and summarize. When you need to bridge back and keep a, a wayward colleague back in the process, do so. When you, when they're looking for brainstorming ideas, brainstorm. When they're trying to get consensus, then say, well, do we have consensus here? And you be the, the assistant to the leader, so to speak, to keep people on task to make it more productive. The, the goal is not to drop out. That doesn't help the problem. Right, and, and it won't get you promoted. <laughs> no, they just see you as part of the problem. You, you've just become the non-participant, and that's just a, an additional problem for the leader to have to handle. And how do you move the conversation for, forward? Well, there's several ways. One, I think, is to always look for a, an opportunity to frame a positive approach. You know, there are always enough whiners in mm-hmm. any conversation, mm-hmm. in any networking group, in any industry meeting. There are always people complaining because there's always bad news. Somewhere there's there's bad news and somebody unhappy about a new policy, a new commission structure, a new industry problem. And so think, what what is the positive spin on that? You will be looked at as as a positive person to get things off dead center and to look for the next step in the process to, to move along. And then, so you're moving the conversation and the whole problem and the whole process forward. But also, an important part is to look for bridging statements. In other words, when people are just tending to say the same thing, you'll say, well, agreed, those are key benefits, but one issue that we certainly need to look at before taking the next step is, I recommend that, you know, so you learn those bridging statements and and communicate with confidence. I have about probably a 100 bridging statements suggested there. And Mm -hmm. you just have them in your toolkit. You just 
learn those. You memorize them just like you memorize the multiplication tables, you know, back in fourth grade. And so when you're involved in those conversations that turn into gripe sessions or that just seem to be stalled out in a meeting and you're spending 30 minutes on a topic and you don't have 30 minutes to waste in this meeting, you just pull out one of those little tools and crank up the conversation and move it on. Um, And communicating with confidence just is absolutely loaded with these ideas. And the thing that you're saying is, the, these are skills that you you can learn, and yeah. there there are rules to how you do this. Yeah, you 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 just learn those, you you memorize those, and then when you need them, you're you're ready to go on them. Uh, because spur of the moment, it's hard to uh, you know come up with a clear bridging statement. But you hear politicians do it all the time. I mean, I just heard one this morning <laughs> when he was asking a question, didn't really particularly want to answer. And he just, you know, bridged bridged from that question to, I think the statement was something like, well, that may be true. However, the more critical issue is, uh-huh. and then went right on to the point he wanted to make. So um, you are so full of information, we, we could really just keep going on, but I, I'll just ask you one more question and then go to the tips. Can you, uh, how can one show up, own up and straighten up. That's that was something that you said in in how we act. Yes, that that whole section on how you act is about character and trust. And I try to tell people that's that's like putting a deposit into the the system because communication is based on trust. And so when you say something that's not clear, that causes people to doubt your intentions, then if they haven't trusted you to begin with, they're going to feel like, okay, what are you covering up here? You know, where's mm-hmm. the foul up, and are you at fault? If you have been depositing in trust, and they they believe you have a good character, and you want to do the right thing, then they're going to come and ask you, hey, this this doesn't look consistent. I mean, you you said this, but the action seems to be different. You know, what's up with this? And they'll give you a chance to explain. So that that's what I'm talking about when we talk about when we're actually talking about your presence and your communication, but you focus on action. And what I mean by that, one one thing you can do is admit mistakes. Nobody likes to work for or with or do business with somebody who cannot admit an error, mm-hmm. who can't own up and say, I fouled up here. And I made, you know, this is an error in judgment. I, I, I made this decision six months ago, and it hasn't worked out, and I'm switching courses. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a that's a basic and then another thing I think that's important is to be accountable for results. You know, if if you're not achieving results, to say, this is not working. I put this policy into place. I made this decision. It's not working. I need to change plans. Because just trying to keep spinning it and spinning it and spinning it or not giving complete details, you don't build trust that way. Um I think another thing, if you want to get ahead, is you need to track your progress and make that progress visible if you're going to get ahead. I mean, people don't follow you around all day, and nobody else is going to be responsible to communicate your successes. So I think you need to say, you know, here's where I started when I took over in this area of responsibility. Here's what I'm going to track and measure, and here's the results, and let people know about it. It doesn't mean you have to stand at the mountaintop and yell it, but you do need to report it. I uh, can't. You can't wait.
wait for somebody else to come pat you on the back about what you've done. That's that's such great advice. I really appreciate you taking this time. And um, how would people get your books and get a hold of you? Uh, our website is Boer, just like my last name, if you can remember Boo Her. I hope they don't do that, but <laughs> just B-O-O-H-E-R, Boer.com. And, of course, they're available in all uh, bookstore online or walk-in bookstores, but also on our website, Boer.com. Diana, thank you again for taking this time with us, and um, I, I recommend that people go to your site and read your books. They're wonderful. Sure, I enjoyed it. Okay, thank you so much. Have a great day. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Be sure to check out my new Women's Leadership Success Facebook fan page for cutting information on women's issues. And register for a free copy of the 7 Secrets to Profitable Job Promotion video training. Go to www.womensleadershipsuccess.com and sign up on the form that appears on the screen after a few moments. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brom, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.